0: You are listening to the weekly podcast of Fellowship Bible Church of Paragool. For more information about our church, please visit us at www.fellowshipparagool.com. Some people trickling in, and so if you do have any seats kind of on the inside of you and you're willing to do that, that would probably be a, a kind thing to do as we seek to get everybody in here. And as you're doing that, if you have a copy of God's Word, you can turn to Exodus chapter 20 and verse... Seventeen, But as you're turning there, I just want to welcome you. I'm Rusty, one of the pastors here at Fellowship Paragold, and we exist to make the real Jesus known. So if you don't know that, that's that's why we're here, is that we realize, especially in the religious South, everybody thinks they've met Jesus, been there, done that, and I didn't even get a lousy t-shirt. So that's, that's kind of where we're at in our culture. And what we want people to see is if you've met Jesus and you haven't been there, done that mentality, you've not met the real Jesus. Because the real Jesus is good news. Good news not just for later, for an afterlife, good news also for now. And so that's what we want to do, is we want to gather and we want to, to know who Jesus really is. That's what we're all about as a church, and the main way you're going to see that is not by coming to a Sunday gathering, although we're so glad you're here, particularly if it's your first time. It's by getting connected in what we call missional communities. And at the end of the service, we'll have more information about how you can get connected with a missional community as we seek to organize our church to make the real Jesus known, not just on Sundays, but every day and in all the places of our city. Well, we come this morning to the last week in our series on the Ten Commandments, which we've called Gold and Honey because the psalmist says that God's commands are like gold and honey. They're not bad news to restrict us and hold us down, but good news to show us how to live in the freedom of the life that God has created us to enjoy. And this week we come to Exodus twenty seventeen to this final and tenth command about coveting. So Exodus 27, read along with me, either from uh, your Bible your phone or up here on the screen. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. Let's pray. Father, we come as your needy children this morning. Wanting just to gather up around your throne and listen to you. So Father, we ask you right now that you would just open uh, our ears, the ears of our heart, the eyes of our heart to see, to listen to what you have to say. And God, I just pray uh, as your needy, broken vessel this morning that you would protect my lips and protect our ears to not hear anything but what is true according to your word. And God, we thank you that even as you reveal and expose our sin this morning, that you would help us to see that that you're not doing that to crush us, but to liberate us, to free us. And God, we ask you now that you would show us, though, our hearts. You would show us where we are trusting in things that can never satisfy. And lead us to the one whom we've sang about this morning, who is enough, your Son, Jesus, our Christ, our King, in whose name we pray. Amen. Well, it must be nice. Must be nice. I wish I could have had a weekend like they had. I wish I had the money to just get up and go do what I want. I wish I could buy that kind of house. I wish we had that kind of property. Wow, wouldn't it be nice to just go out and fish in your backyard or hunt in your backyard? I wish I had a wife like that. Uh Uh-oh, yeah. Who thought my jokes were funny. Who bragged on me all the time like Jared's wife does. Now, I've never heard her do that, but Jared tells me she brags on him all the time. Yeah. I wish I had kids like that who made those kind of grades who got asked to be on the all-star teams, the traveling teams. I wish I had a book that was published. I wish somebody wanted to ask me to come speak at their church. Man, I wish we could go on a vacation to Disney World whenever we wanted to. I wish I could take my wife on Those kind of dates. I wish I could lead. No joke. I wish I could lead like Jared leads. I wish I could have fun and connect with people like Luke does. You may be thinking, what kind of (laughs) broken, messed up person are you? Oh, I'm just explaining to you what can happen in like five minutes on Facebook. (laughs) (laughs) We get way worse than that. I and mean, that can happen in five minutes. What we see that God is bringing to us this morning from this tenth command, this coveting, this seeing what you don't have, what others have, and you want it, and you wrestle with why you can't have it. It's these comparison-fueled cravings that we know is coveting. And it's not just that we want those things, it's sometimes we feel less because we don't have them. So we get angry or depressed or careless. You see, of all the commands, and we've seen how all these commands connect to our hearts, but this tenth command goes directly for the heart. Because every one of us in here could have this going on right now, and we're not going to see it. If you steal my wife's purse, I'm going to watch you carry it out here this morning. But if you covet, I may not see that. But it's there. It's, a, it's a, a heart issue where the Word of God wastes no time to pierce to that level. And yet there's good news for us this morning. It's because the God we serve specials in heart surgery. He specializes in going and changing not only the behavior that we find ourselves trapped in, but the desires we find ourselves captive to. The good news that we don't have to hear this command as slaves who have no hope, but as the sons of God who have been set free, so that through the good news of Jesus Christ, those who are trapped in coveting may find themselves as the people who are content. The reality that in the gospel, the coveting may grow into the content. But how do we do that? Well, the first thing we have to do this morning is we have to own how coveting crushes us. And what is coveting? Coveting is a desire that is being corrupted. If you look in this text, you'll see it doesn't simply say you shall not covet and stop there. It's always attached to an object. So don't covet your neighbor's house or wife or servants. It's because the the word here behind coveting is really, in other places, just used as a simple desire. A want. But we have to realize that our desires can very quickly dominate us. And when our desires become corrupted, then we find ourselves coveting that which we don't have. You could define this simply as a comparison fueled craving. I'll say that coveting is a comparison fueled craving. Coveting is when the, the rope of desire slips down over our necks as a noose and tightens its grip. This is how Israel was tempted to covet this really just spans everything that could be coveted. And we see as Israel goes on, this coveting will crush them. As God leads them further in this story, uh, God will actually provide food from heaven, manna. And Israel will begin to think, you know, this isn't enough. We need better than this, God. I mean, I know you saved us from Egypt and from slavery, and you're feeding us from heaven. But back in Egypt, we ate better than this. Those Egyptians are eating steak right now and we're eating this bread from heaven. But what began is that desire that became corrupted by their comparison crushed them as that food ended up making them sick as they gorged themselves on it. We'll see later, Israel will covet not only their neighbors, but they will covet the nations. They will say, we want a king like the nations. And they will find themselves crushed by those kings carried into captivity because they didn't want a king whom was God or whom was God's king. They just wanted a king like the other nations had. And we're not much different. And we can see this in our children. My children at least know how to ruin a perfectly good playtime. Okay, we saw this yesterday. We went to, to Crowley's Ridge to the playground there. And they have all these different swings. And the kids are just swinging and having a great time. But they noticed all of a sudden one of the swings was different. So whereas most of the swings had, I believe, a circle sort of seat, one of them had this flat seat that you could stand on and you could do different things. And so all of a sudden, they're just having a blast, having fun. But when they notice, wow, somebody has something different. And that something looks better. Do you think now that they enjoyed their swinging? No. And in worst case scenario, one of my kids walks over and punches their brother or sister and takes it. Right? In a less worst case scenario, they just begin to whine and to groan and complain. When's it going to be my turn? Why do they get to play on the square one? And as silly as we may think that is, and as more sophisticated as we might be as adults Don't we do the same thing? I mean, just think of a little social experiment. Let's just say Monday at work, your supervisor comes down to you, and he says, hey, I see you've been doing a great job. I'm going to give you a dollar raise. And you're just pumped. You're walking around. You're like, wow, I can't wait to call and tell my spouse that I got this dollar raise. And then at lunch, though, your buddy says, hey, guess what? I got a $2 raise. Now what happens in your heart? man, that's not right. I work as hard as he does. Why don't I have what he has? This is how we covet. We covet like Israel covets. We covet our neighbor's house, our possessions. Everything's seen now, right? So it's it's harder for us in some ways. We don't just see our neighbor on our street. We, We get on the computer, right? And we see everybody's stuff. And we know some people, and no, no shame on you if this is you, they want to post everything, right? (laughs) Here's my, here's how I just did my lawn today. And here's what I ate today. And here's, here's what I bought today. And you, you see it. You covet it. You covet relationships. Your, Your neighbor's, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife. You see these pictures and you think, oh, look at their perfect little family, Lottie freaking dog, <laughs> right? You know, you want, the, you want the bumper sticker, right? My kid beats up your honor student at school, right? That's what, and you look at their status, right? I mean, that's really what these this male servant, female servants are about. Your servants were a sign of your status in society, how many people you have working for you. You see people's job promotions, you see what people make, and you think, well, I went to school longer than them, or I'm smarter than that person, or it's just about who they know, and I don't know who they know. <coughs> it's their stuff, right? Wow, look at my new zero-turn mower, and you're thinking, I have to hold my mower up because one of the wheels isn't on it just to try to get some kind of even cut. <laughs> could be anything, right? or anything that your neighbor's. Their personalities. I wish I was nice like that person. Or I wish I could be more stern like that person. I wish, like my grandpa, when he cleared his throat, all the kids in the room sat up straight. Like, he didn't even have to say anything. Right? I wish I could lead. I wish I could love. But it crushes us what we used to call keeping up with the joneses, right? It crushes us. That's why for some of you women watching HGTV is worse than watching a horror movie. It's going to do worse for your heart. To to see that new way you could remodel your living room than to see somebody getting their head hacked off. <laughs> you roll over and go to sleep after that. You watch fixer upper and you're like, "Ooh." ooh, ooh. <laughs> And it's why some of you men looking in a trader is worse than looking at porn. Man, if I had that boat, ooh, I could take my life to the next level. You know, you see a sexual scene, you're like, yeah, I've seen it a hundred times. But you see new tires you could put on a truck, and there you go, right? You're laying in bed at night. It sucks our soul dry. And if you're not careful, when coveting really begins to take over your heart, you're ne- you become a person who is crushed. You are never satisfied, and you walk around and you bring a tense atmosphere everywhere you go because it's never good enough. It's never enough, and so wherever I go, it's going to be tense. You you self loathe, so you don't. It's not that you just bring bad vibes around everybody you meet, but it's yourself. In yourself, you're like, man, I was having a good day until I saw that person had that and I didn't have it. You're led to all the other sins. I mean, just think about it. Why do people steal? Because you covet what someone has. Why do people kill? Because you covet something. Why do people commit adultery? Because you covet their spouse. And we could go on and on. Why do people lie? Usually because they covet something and they're trying to make up for it. It crushes you because sometimes it leaves you with little or no friends or fake friends. Because you can't rejoice with anybody who does well. People who covet mock other people's success or try to belittle it. Oh, wow, that's great for you. Or they actually aren't that great. I it. It's just because of who they know. Some of you are in debt big time because you covet. You don't have a budgeting problem. You have a coveting problem. You think, I need that, like, they have it, and if they have it, I mean, they say they're Christians, and they're following Jesus too, and they go buy whatever they want, so I'll go buy whatever I want. Even if we don't have the money. Some of you overwork. You don't have a discipline problem. You have a coveting problem. You want more, you want more, and you're going to do whatever it takes to get more. And if you don't watch yourself, again, you find your soul being sucked dry because you're finding yourself in this never-satisfying black hole of, "I need to just take this one more step, get this one more thing." It's what we do, and it crushes us. But it's not enough to know what we do and how it crushes us, but why do we do this? Well, if you, if you think about what we see here, and this is no accident in the scriptures, is oftentimes they will the, the writers of scriptures to the Holy Spirit will book in things. The first commandment was, you shall have no other gods before me. The last command of the ten is, you shall not covet. This is no coincidence, because these two commands are linked and synced together in a way that is probably already obvious to you all. Israel's coveting was not just because they believed they didn't have enough. Israel coveted because they did not believe that God was enough. Understand that your problem of coveting is not just because you believe what you have is not enough. It's because deep down you believe, and I believe, God is not enough. Your desire, your want, has become a worship. It can happen from the silliest things, the most silly things, to the most serious things. Uh, One thing my wife reminded me of was probably she said one of the times she saw me the most angriest. Uh, Again, here we go. No, please don't judge me. So (laughs) I like to eat, and I really like French fries. And I remember seeing uh, a billboard or something. You're like, who do billboards work on? Well, here I am. And so you see (laughs) Wendy's advertising or McDonald's one. I can't remember these fries. And I, I gotta have some of those fries. I don't remember probably having an otherwise bad day, and I'm looking to to this and thinking, oh, I need this. This will this will be good for me." And I remember going through that drive-through and ordering the biggest one they had, whatever it was—super size, extra large—one of the ones somebody somewhere is trying to ban, I'm sure—and getting it, pulling around, and opening that bag and seeing that fry carton about halfway full. You ever been there? Anybody bear witness? And I kid you not, I opened the door and I took that thing of fries out and I just slung it across the parking lot. Now, I, Forgive me. I repented to her and to God, but if you were to say, wow, you just want fries too much, <laughs> well, that's true. But it wasn't just that. I mean, let's be honest, I was worshiping that at that moment. I was saying, I have to have this to fulfill me right now, and because I didn't get it, I am ticked off, I'm angry, I'm upset. You see, sometimes when it comes to our coveting, we think we're like this innocent window shopper walking our dog downtown, looking in the window thinking that'd be nice to have, and we're really like Gollum. (laughs) That's what we are, my precious. Right? And we go jumping into Mount Doom after the ring as it destroys us. And we've got to own that. This is what James 4, 2-4 through 4 says. I'm going to have Ryan pull that up. You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. It goes on, you ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly. Why? It's all about you, to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people. Just translate there, it's idolatrous. You seeking to find your satisfaction and fulfillment in a relationship in the world with something or someone above and beyond God. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. You see, our coveting is we're fantasizing about all these other gods that can save us ultimately and satisfy us deeply. What we're saying to God in these moments, whether it be your coveting over someone else's furniture or someone else's family, is we're saying, God, your grace is not enough. I must be the best. It's not enough to be who I am, where I am, at the level of success that I have, I've got to be better than this person. His comfort is not enough. Well, yeah, you can save me and take me to heaven, but what about vacation this summer? His comfort's not enough. His approval's not enough. Man, I don't want to be... I'm not liked like this person is. And God, I know that you love me and fully approve of me in Christ, but that's not enough. They've got to like me. His control is not enough. His plan for your life, where you're at at this point in your life. If you're honest, you think God, you're ridiculous, you're unfair. And if some of you probably even think sometimes you're just downright evil. Ultimately, you think he is not enough. And if you're honest, this is what goes through your mind. Everybody in here already has God. My neighbor has God. But they've got more too. I want God and more. Why do they get God plus and all I get is Him? It's your if only. I'm just ask you that question. What's your if only? By that I mean your if only is, if only I had fill in the blank, then I would be where I need to be. My life would be complete. So just think about this, that right now. What is your if only? Whatever your if only is, that's your God. That's your God. And as sobering as that might be, you will never, ever move out of this sin of coveting until you own that. It's like Tom Brady. I know many of you know who Tom Brady is, New England. Patriots quarterback. In 2010, he was interviewed. And if you know anything about Tim, Tom Brady, about called him Tim, I know him really well, don't I? Is uh, Tom Brady is a super athlete. He is a overachieving super athlete. When he came to the NFL, nobody was saying this guy is going to be the guy. They were saying he'll be average at best. But he out outperformed everyone. And at this point, I want to... In his career, when he was interviewed by 60 Minutes, he had won three Super Bowls, and who knows football better than me? He's won at least one more since then, right? Since 2010? And not only is he a super athlete who has Super Bowl rings, he also has super money. So at that point, a $60 million contract, not too bad for throwing a football and running around. And he's also married to a supermodel, right? And on 60 Minutes, a few years ago, he was interviewed. Here's a guy who you think, wow, if I had all that, it'd be enough. And he said, I know this is hard for you to hear, but I believe, but he just, he looked right at that interviewer and said, there's got to be more than this. And to him, it was funny. He just sort of laughed and he said, I don't know what it is. There's got to be more than this. And you all know that. Whatever it is you think is going to fulfill you, once you get it, you're always sitting there in that same place as Tom Brady. What now? It's a worship problem. So how do we get past this worship problem? How do we not only have coveting crushes, and how do we not only find ourselves as the idolaters that we are? Well, we have to embrace the one who is enough. We have to be able to sing what we sang this morning, Christ is Enough, not just on Sunday, but we've got to be able to sing it on Tuesday. You see, Israel, all that they are, the mission that God has called them to fulfill in the world, of displaying His greatness and glory to the nations as they enjoy Him in the stuff of everyday life, totally depends on them being able to live lives with hearts rooted in the rock-solid conviction that God is enough. Enough. In Psalm 73, we see a beautiful picture of what Israel is to wrestle through and yet land on. The psalmist says this truly, God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But, as for me, my feet had almost stumbled, my steps had nearly slipped. Why? Why is this, this writer of this psalm who is who is giving us a picture of the, the struggle that Israel has, why are, why are they almost slipping, stumbling, falling away from the faith? For I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. You see, this is no new problem. If you were to walk through the rest of this psalm, we're not going to hit every verse for the sake of time, but we see that he is coveting because he looks out and he sees there's so many people they are just doing whatever they want. Some of them even mock God. They don't even care about Him. Their lives are not better than this person, maybe even worse in some extent, and yet they get whatever they want, it seems. So he's having this faith crisis in his heart because he is envious, because he is coveting the fact that other people have a seemingly easier and better life than he has. But the psalm doesn't end there. And it goes on and it talks about how by God's grace, God revealed to him what God this morning is wanting to reveal to us through this tenth command. Is that what is the only thing that really matters in the end? Who is the only one who can save you from the penalty of your sin? Who is the only one that can provide you with the presence of a person who will never leave you nor forsake you on your best days and on your worst days? Who is the only one who can really lead you into an understanding of why you even exist in the first place and why in light of all your brokenness, pain, and shame, He can make your life an everlasting beauty? And so the psalmist lands here in verse 21. He says, When my soul was embittered, when I had this crisis of faith, when I was pricked in heart, I was brutish and ignorant. I was like a beast towards you. Do you see him? He's owning it. He's owning his envy, he's owning his coveting. He's realizing it's not just, well, I want stuff better than I have. No, he's realizing I was an idolater, I was a, a practical atheist as he's meditated on who God is and what he has done, he comes to this conclusion, Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel, and afterwards you will receive me to glory. And here we go. This has got to be the banner over our lives. If we take away the grip of coveting on our hearts, we've got to be able to fight to where we can say this, Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh, my body, my heart, my emotions, my decisions, my will may fail. But God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Do you believe God is enough? Can you say, whom have I? but you. If I have you, I have everything that I need. Can you imagine this morning if you walked out into the, well, I don't know what we call it a movie theater, (laughs) the foyer, the entranceway, the meet and greet place, and you saw two people fighting over a styrofoam cup of tap water. I mean, they're just over there clawing. Maybe it's two girls, right? they got each other's hair. They're fighting. They're on the ground. Would you be tempted to get in on that fight? Hopefully not, right? Unless you're a little like I am, obviously, earlier. Why wouldn't you? Because you have a water faucet at home, don't you? Why are we fighting over the tap water when at home all we have to do is go turn on the faucet? If you got on Facebook today and you saw someone post a picture, look at my styrofoam cup of tap water. (laughs) Would you give everyone in your family the silent treatment the rest of the night and walk around moody and grumpy because you don't have that styrofoam cup of tap water? No, I hope not. Why? Because you could walk into the kitchen and go, (laughs) and have all the tap water you need. Why are we fighting and moaning and complaining and whining and crushing ourselves when we got the faucet at home? When we got the real thing? When we not only get the goods, but we get God. We've got to see that. We have something better than houses and perfect families and status in society. We have a relationship with the God of the universe as our Father. And as we see our sin, we see a God who doesn't run from us, but just like in this psalm, who reaches out this morning with His hand in Jesus Christ to give us hope. The hope of a Savior, think about this, who is so secure and so free from coveting, He said, I'll leave everything in heaven and go live in the middle of this mess we find ourselves in today of a Savior who didn't just live in this, but when Satan tried to tempt him to covet, and said, look Jesus, I can give you all the kingdoms of this world, and you don't have to do that whole cross deal. He was so secure and so satisfied in God, he could just walk the other way of a Savior who died on a cross. And think about what was going on. As Jesus, the true King of the world, died on the cross, all these other kings and phony kings like Herod and rulers like Pilate were probably at a, at a nice meal. And Jesus could have said, I deserve that. The Savior who loved us so much, He rose from the dead. And why did he rose back from the grave through a life that resisted coveting? Because what he wants to do for all of us this morning is pull back the curtain on all those lies that are telling you, if you only had this, then you would be fulfilled. See, we are all going to hit a wall at some point in our life, and some of us at many points. Hear this so clearly. Every one of us in here are going to hit a wall And the only question to be answered at that point is going to be, is Jesus enough? That'll be the ultimate question. Is He enough? Because I got nobody else and I got nothing else. I just want to plead with you this morning to say He is enough. He is enough. in Him you will only find your true security and approval. Coveting is usually an expression of insecurity. When you feel inferior, you get envious. But in Jesus, you find the security of a God who says, you're my beloved son, you're my beloved daughter, in whom I'm well pleased. In Jesus, you don't have to win the game, king of the hill. Because he says, in me, you've been seated in heavenly places. You're already on top if you're in Him. In Jesus, you don't have to do better because you're just happy you get to be at the table. You're not worried about what's fair. You're just glad you didn't get what you deserve. And now you've got grace and been given so much more. In Jesus, you have nothing to make up for. In Jesus, you have nothing to miss out on. In Jesus, you have nothing to to lose because you've got nothing to gain. And just imagine if you believe that when your friends get the better home and you get the notice of foreclosure in the mail. Just imagine that when somebody else's spouse is so super romantic and the best thing your spouse can do is muster up the the communication to ask you to help them find the remote. Imagine this, when their kids are so good at school and sports, and yours hates school, hates you, and hates life. Imagine if you really believe that Jesus is enough when you read those Facebook posts about those vacations, date night, job successes, social connections, and your Netflix won't even work without having to buffer every 30 seconds. You have to search for enough quarters under the couch just to take go to little Caesars. Can you imagine believing Jesus is enough and that not wrecking your night? That seems too good to be true, doesn't it? But this is the good news, that if you know who Jesus is and who you are in Him, then you can say with the Apostle Paul in Philippians 10, 4. Let's just go there, Ryan. Philippians chapter 4. This can be your life. This can be what you can fight for. Paul says, I am speaking of, not that I'm speaking of being in need. He's writing from a prison. His life is one big torture chamber, it seems like. But he said, I'm not saying I'm in need. For I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, I know how to not have anything. And I know how to abound. I know how to have it all. In any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. So what's this secret? I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Let's just clear it up. Sorry to burst your bubble. That's not about winning a sports game. It's about losing the game or winning the game. It's about saying, we win the championship, we lose the championship, I'm content because I've got Jesus. I know how to have it all, I know how to have it little. I'm not always living with this vision of the grass is greener on the other side. Because I I know in many cases that grass is turf. It's fake." I know in many cases that grass has been bought on the sacrifice of relationships. And I know that what I have is what lasts. Can you imagine again if we really believe this, how different our lives would be? This past week, I don't know if you saw this, somebody found seven. Ty Cobb baseball cards from the early 1900s. And for those of you who are like, who cares about baseball cards? Let's put it in a category that you'll care about. Over a million dollars worth of baseball cards. You know where they were? In a brown paper sack in the basement of Grandpa's house. They thought there were only 15 of these in existence. Just think of, the, and these people want to be anonymous, I guess, so they don't get robbed. <laughs> but just think, these people are living their normal everyday lives, probably complaining over where to go eat or what to buy, and blah blah blah. And they got a million bucks in the basement. God, by His grace, is just wanting to show us that today, instead of whining and fighting. And self-loathing over what we don't have compared to other people. Why don't we just graciously let him show us that he's given us everything and more that we need. That what Paul says just a few verses down in Philippians 4.19 is as true then as it is today. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Are you enjoying what you have and who you have in Jesus? I guarantee you, if you have a car wreck next week and your kids die, you're not going to be thinking, I wish they made as good a grade as those kids or as good as sports as those kids. If you find out next week your spouse has cancer, you're not going to be sitting down and whining because they're not as romantic or as sweet as somebody else's. So many of us are wasting our lives not enjoying what and who we have right in front of us because we don't understand who and what we have in Jesus. In the gospel, we coveters can enjoy the freedom of being content. Father, thank you so much for your good news. That I know I've only scratched the surface and so... A weekly portrayed today. And thank you that Jesus is enough. Thank you that we can say, like Paul said elsewhere, that I count all things as lost compared to the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus is Lord. May that be our cry. And may we be able to rejoice when others rejoice, weep when others weep, because we already know we have everything that really matters in Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen.